Welcome one and all to the pod. In this edition, you'll hear our conversation with Uganda's Michael Azira. Michael's story is one of resilience. Growing up, the defensive midfielder couldn't even afford boots. And his ticket to the big time came via scholarship to the US, where things didn't initially go to plan at his university. There's a moment in your bones when, when the fire takes over. Now he's in the Midwest lining up for the Chicago Fire, who've struggled in recent seasons. But Michael says Chicago are primed to surprise people this season, much like he's done throughout his career. Aside from football, Michael is passionate about young African players focusing on their education. That way, players can make informed decisions about their futures and not be reliant on clubs or agents for their careers. We start off our conversation back where it first began for Michael, and that was hearing how he bought his first pair of boots. I think most kids will remember their first pair of boots. I remember mine. I remember being in South Africa. My dad took me to the local sports store. Uh, we bought what was then a black and white pair of Puma boots that still hang in my old room in Durban, South Africa. I look at it with such fond memories. Uh, where did you get your first pair of boots? Oh, Tell us about so that story. My mom used to give me money for like to eat at school, like at breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, because school you, you get a break at break and then lunch, and then you go home. But like, so my mom used to give me some money, and I used to put it in my palm in my in my hand and I would not let go till I go back home so I used to save that money and I used to keep it under bed until when because I was young so I mm-hmm. saved it under bed until I bought my first pair of lotos and you know these kind of lotos with the with the uh, something elastic in, inside yeah your foot? classic oh man those things were the best <laughs> I, I wore them I thought I was the best kid on the block you know just walking around showing them off and going to school in them man it was the best thing ever, man. No, oh, I can imagine. What happened when you when you arrived home with those boots? What, what did your mom do? No, man. I, I don't think she even noticed because she was always <laughs> trying to tell me to go <laughs> to be in school all the time. But like you know, she's she's like ah, he's just he's just being Michael, you know. Because I always wanted to play soccer since I was young, and mm-hmm. and she was like, Michael, you need you need to go to school fast, you know. But you know, I always loved soccer, so me buying my own pair of boots, it, it didn't move anything, you know. You know, she just said, yeah, it's just Michael, you know. And, and Michael, as I understand it, you've been pretty resourceful growing up. That wasn't the only entrepreneurial thing you did. Uh, tell our audience um, how else you'd generate a bit of money while you were growing up. Uh, so I used to, there's a friend back home, he told me like to go to, I used to wake up very early in the morning, mm-hmm. and like 5 a.m. in the morning, that's when like they start to sell clothes in the morning. So I used to go and buy like a shot and sell it to my fellow players or my teammates mm-hmm. for, for profit, and and I used to make money like that. And then later, I helped one of my friends to sell soccer boots and boot, and, and, and bowls. So I used to supply my club that I used to play for. <laughs> so I had to find a way to leave, you know, because I never used grow like my, my parents were they didn't have that much, so there's no way you could go ask your mom for boots or a pair of shoes, a pair of sh- 
clothes or anything like that. So I had to find a way to make some extra money to be able to take care of myself. I gotcha. I gotcha. And now you're living in the States. You've been there for a very long time. How different is your life now to what it was when you were growing up in Uganda? Um, living in the U.S., there is yeah, you have more resources available to you, and compared to back home. But besides that, is you know the the culture is 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 very different, and the lifestyle and the food, and also the weather as well, because it's different as well. But like besides that, you know, it's you. I've been able to meet a lot of people, a lot of good people have helped me to get through all the situations that I faced while like the first time I got here, but. So far, so good. It's been great so far, and I've really enjoyed my moment here. Absolutely. And how was it that you got to the United States? What was your key to getting that opportunity to move abroad? It was mostly through school, because while I was growing up, you know, I told my mom, I promised her that, you know, I'll get a degree. I'm the only kid in our family who was able to finish school, and so... She didn't have money. She always she was always worried. I like she like Michael. We can't afford school. How will I be able to pay for that? So lucky enough, uh, I found a team that I played for, and I told them, you know, all I need is pay my tuition. So they they helped me with my tuition all while I was in the academy and stuff like that, and as well. So after that, my friend we used to play together in high school. He came to the U.S. before me. His name is Henry Kalunji. He went to Winthrop University. And he recommended me, and then a coach came to watch me in Uganda, and I, I was offered a scholarship. And that day, I was I was in the under twenty, under twenty three team. I was in the national team as well. They used to call me in just to train with the senior side. So we were going to have a friendly game with, I think it was Algeria, and I was supposed to be in the game, but I didn't have my passport there. My passport was at the embassy. <laughs> So oh, I, wow. to be able to play in international <laughs> friendlies, you need, you, need your, you need your passport. Oh, <laughs> so I did have it. And so I had to go talk to the coach, like, coach, I can't be in the game. He was asking, like, why? Why can't you be in the game? Oh, He's like, my. I don't have my passport here. He's like, where is it? I'm like, it's at the embassy. <laughs> He's like, what is he doing there? <laughs> I'm like, coach, <laughs> I got a scholarship. I'm going to go study. So he's like, oh, okay. So he, he sent me to the to the president of soccer by then. I went and talked to him. I told him, you know, I got a scholarship and I think my time, I need to go study. I need to go, I need to go take this opportunity. And the good thing, he was very supportive of me because mm. uh, I had built some trust with him a while ago. So he told me, Michael, that's fine. You can go study and then you can always come back and play for the national team. But it was through scholarship and then I got here and I went to Kentucky of all places. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> The next day, <laughs> you know, because you know when you're back home, you know, you're just always thinking about New York, you know, California, and all these big cities. Skyscrapers, loads of cars, subways. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, you never get to see anything like that. But So we flew in through Chicago, and then I got on my next flight going to Louisville. I was like, you know, it's, this is still looking good, but I was so tired on the plane that I took a nap in the van that was taking me to school. Uh -huh. So... As I was in the van, I took a nap a little bit, but then I woke up. And then when I woke up, I saw Diaz running in front of our car. I was like, no way. Where are we going? This is not America. But it was crazy, man. But I reached there, and 
the school is in the middle of nowhere. But so that was frustrating because I grew up in the city in, in Kampala. Mm. But you know, one thing that I was at in the back of my mind was like to to know the reason why I'm there and then. Because I remember I told you I made a promise to my mom that I get a degree. Yeah, I do. So I was like, you know, so the first reason I was like, you know, I'm here to study. The rest will come after. But, you know, it's I was able to play there for three years, and I've all, I always tried to leave so bad. But the coach wouldn't let me go. Because one time even he scared me. He's like, Michael, if you try to leave, I'm going to try to deport you. Oh. That was really scary. <laughs> was he joking yeah. or was he being serious? <laughs> I have no idea because I didn't know the rules back then, you know. Of so course, you're like, a young student. Oh, man, I can't leave. But you know, since I taught myself the rules of 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 schools and how to transfer to different schools, and because at that school that we went working, we're just there, you know, just mm. kids who go back home and you stay on campus, but like just two of us, me and my other Ugandan friend. It can be pretty lonely. It was cold, and it was it was. It was a bit tough, you know, just to stay on campus by yourself, you know. The only friend you have is the gym. You go to the gym and then come back. and So it was a bit difficult. It was mm. really cold. But, like, after I told myself some rules, I told my friend, let's leave. Let's go to another school. Because the only oh, condition I gave to another school is, like, you have to find me a job. I don't care where it mm. is. I just need a job because I need to be able to take care of myself. Because the coach who brought us was just, like, we just wanted to win rings, you know, just in championships and stuff like that but it was something that you know I had to learn from and you know just to build to grow myself to be able to go through these hard moments you know because I feel like it prepared me for the future you know to deal with all the things that I had to deal with in life and in the league and in just in life in general so mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I you know I went through all those moments at the beginning. Michael when I look at your career and when I hear your story you're the ultimate underdog you're defined by resilience and everything that you've achieved. And I wonder how that's poured into your foundation, the Pearl of Africa Youth Foundation. I know you were in Uganda in the off season. Could you tell us a little bit about that foundation and and why it differs perhaps from other football academies and, and initiatives out there? Yeah, so to me, this foundation was mostly started with the reason being that, you know, we want to encourage kids to go through school and play soccer mm-hmm. at the same time. Like, So we want to show them that, you know, they're capable of being successful no matter what. You know, they, they can go, they can be successful through playing soccer and, mm-hmm. and going to school at the same time. So I go home and I share my story with them. I tell them, you know, I went to school first and then I played. So don't be lied to that, you know, you're not capable of being successful. So because I tell them you're capable of being successful because if you could be successful, you could be successful as well. So, and the other reason is like, because the tournaments we used to play in, was like, the, all the all those tournaments we went away, we used to play in city tires and then shell. So all those tournaments are away. They're, they're not there anymore. So we're like, you know, let's start something. Me and my other friends, is my other friend called Ronald. We grew up together. And then another friend, Musa, and another friend, Edison, and then another female friend, Marcy, she lives in Sweden. We're like, you know, let's come up with something, you know, let's find a way to help these kids. How can we help them? So we're like, you know, let's start a tournament, but tournament which focuses on education and soccer, you know. So we've able, I've been blessed with this platform that, you know, I've been able to play in the league for so long. And and the clubs that I've played for, they've helped me so much. With They gave me all the equipment, you know, they gave me balls, they gave me jerseys to give away the tournament. So... We try to 
So we had to set up this tournament where we could give kids something they can do during that time. And also it's like, you know, that age bracket, the under 16, that's the age where most of the kids in Uganda, they get lost. They don't know where to play. They don't know where to go. Most of them are neglected. And some of them they get to lie to by clubs to give them contracts at a very early age. And so I tell them, you know, wait. The best thing you can do right now is to prepare for your future. And the best way to prepare for it is to go through school right now. Play for schools, don't play for clubs. Because if an opportunity comes, you need to be ready. When opportunity comes, you need to be ready that you have your schools, your 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 grades are up, you know, you're ready to go. You know, if an opportunity comes, I always like, you know, if an opportunity comes, I'm going to give it to you. Because always schools are always asking for, for students, you know, that, hey, Michael, can we get another zero? You know, can we get another player like you? So I'm like, you know, this is an opportunity that I can give to the kids, you know. So we're trying to find ways where we can find opportunities for the kids to come through school and play soccer for different schools or different clubs if that's available as well. But I want to give them that opportunity that, you know, it's the capable of being successful and achieve their dreams through school and through soccer at the same time. Michael, you touched on something there. You spoke about how players are attracted young to these contracts. Do you think in Uganda there's still people looking to take advantage of young, naive kids, um, agents who are just, you know, not thinking about the child's development or the young person's development? Um, is that something that's still prevalent in, in Uganda or is prevalent in Uganda? Yeah, it is because me growing up as well, I was I was offered a contract when I was like 15, mm. and I even cried. I was so young. I, they were telling me I could need to play for the first team, but I was like, no, I don't need to play. I want to play after I, after I finish school. So, and with the poverty in the country, most of these kids they come from humble backgrounds. They come from poor families. So when they're offered money they rather usually take the short short route. You know, they rather say, you know, let me take this money right now because I'll never know when, when I'll get it again. So it's been a major problem back home whereby, you know, and, and mostly like some coaches who try to spend time to invest in these kids. They're usually not compensated by the, these clubs. These clubs are just looking for the quick fix instead of trying to develop the game, try to develop the players. So most of the kids usually say, tell them, you know, because at the tournament, we try to, I usually have talks with them, try to help them to how to set goals, try to help them how to achieve their goals, but like they need to have a path, you know, they need to set their path where they need to go. They need to know what they want in life before they, before they go out in life. So I usually tell them, you know, know what you want, what do you, where do you want to play, where do you want to go? So, and I feel like we struggle with that back home with the low levels of education and and the poverty, it's easy for the, these clubs to come and just take take advantage of these kids. I gotcha. And with your foundation work, when do you think you'll be in a position to start placing kids at universities, either in Uganda or potentially abroad in the US and around the world? So in Uganda, we work with a coordinator back home. His name is Steven. We find scholarships at, uh, for different kids in, in, uh, in Uganda. And at this tournament, some coaches were there from different schools to come and look at players. And some of them have got scholarships. And so far, here in the U.S., I'm still trying to talk to different coaches. I want to be able to, hopefully they can come at the tournament to watch the kids. And hopefully kids can get scholarships as well. But so far in Uganda, most of the kids are in school, which has been so great for us. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, that's always, you know, if, if you see a kid that, you know, he's got a scholarship, that's always, you know, you feel like it's, 
it's, it's successful, you know, because at yep. least you, you show that, you know, you're looking out for the kids' interests first. I get that. I get that. Um, Michael, I'm going to sort of move us along in the interview now because I, I really can hear you passionate about your foundation and thank you for giving us all the context around it. But I'd like to just change focus to the Uganda national team for a, for a few questions. Um, you made yeah. your debut for the Cranes quite late in your career. I think you were almost 30 when a lot of players potentially would have gr given up on that dream to play international football. What was it like when you finally sang the anthem and you got the opportunity to wear your colours? Oh, man, that was amazing. Because to me, I always think, like, you know, like playing for your national team is one of the highest honours that a player can get. So, <clears throat> like, me not to be called a national team in earlier days, it's, it's, it, didn't, it didn't put me down because... I always knew that, you know, I always believed in myself and I knew that, you know, if my time comes, I'll play because I, I, I believe in this thing that everyone has got his time, you know, no matter what happens. All you got to do is to prepare. So I was like, you know, I've, I have an opportunity to play in the U.S. All I can do is to focus on me right now and support the guys who are playing. But right now I need to focus on me and improve and play at my club to get as many minutes as I can and hopefully they can call me. So when I was called upon, I was like, you know, maybe this is my time to go play for the country. And it was an honor to me and to my family. Amazing. Amazing. And again, Michael, it speaks to your resilience that you never, ever gave up on that dream. Were there no moments when you thought, you know what, I'm a bit too old, I'm never going to get my call up? No, no, no. It's That never came to me that I'm too old. But, you know, I had some setbacks with the coaches and stuff like that because every coach has got his own players. And usually, to me, I always believe that if you have a coach who believes in you, you will shine. You go out and shine no matter what. So the coach that I, we had before, not that I'm blaming him or I'm pointing him out Mitchell. or anything like that. It's just, yeah, Mitchell, you know, maybe it wasn't my time. Maybe I didn't fit in his system because uh, he played me in three different positions in one game. And I was like, this is not right. And I, um, she didn't, uh, I felt like, you know, it's, I didn't play well in the game because, you know, there was, the preparation, I don't think the preparation was good enough even for me to be able to help the team. And I felt like, you know, that, that didn't put me back. I was like, you know, if this way, it is what it is. It's, there was a guy who was playing my position and was playing well. So I was like, you know, I need to find a way to, 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 you know, to learn from him and also to encourage him and also to support him as much as I can, you know. So that did stop me just because I didn't play to stop me from pursuing that goal of playing for the national team. Mm-hmm. Now, the Cranes have never qualified for a World Cup, but in recent history, you've qualified for the last two African Cup of Nations. Do you think in your lifetime, Michael, you'll see Uganda qualify for a World Cup? I think so, because Uganda is... We are really blessed with some talented players, you know, like... And, the, and soccer is growing so much that, you know, most of the players have, have moved out of the country to go play in different countries. You know, that always brings something to the national team. That always brings something special. You know, the player comes back with confidence. You know, they learn something new. And, and you know, and soccer has grown so much in Africa, I'll say all over the world, you know. You know, because I remember Tunisia used to beat Uganda 7-0, 5-0, but it's not the same anymore, you know. Because last time we played, I've already cost in the friend, and we beat them 1-0. They didn't expect it. And... And also this past African Cup of Nations, the players played so well, everyone was able to express themselves as much as possible. And to me, I feel like there is that opportunity because all the talent that is in Uganda, 
I think with time, with with better nurturing of the game and the players, I feel like there's the time. The time is coming, and it's it won't be that very far from qualifying for the for the World Cup. Yeah, and hopefully that happens um, either no. with you playing or while you're um, while you're while you're around to support the team because we know what a proud footballing nation the Cranes are. Last major final, the 1978 African Cup of Nations, yeah. if I'm correct. You and I would have been too young for that, but um, <laughs> but I'm yeah, sure it's a, I'm sure it's legendary in Uganda. Um, one final question on the national team. Uganda has a new coach, Johnny McKinstry. Um, he's a very young coach. He's 34, just a few years older than you. How does that dynamic work, Michael, uh, between you and the new coach? Uh, you know, it always comes down to respect, you know, because if I want to be respected, I have to give him respect as well. I have to respect him to do his job and and support him as much as I can, you know. At the end of the day, he's the coach. I'm a player. I'm there to play. I'm not there to coach. And and also, it's, he's been great to the team. He knows how to bring the team together. And he tries to break, break down everything for us as much as he can. He makes it simple for us. You know, he always gives you three things. Like, you know, three things to attack, three things to defend. That's all he wants us to focus on. And, and he's been great at bringing the players together and trying to show us how he wants, how he wants the team to play. So we, Uganda is lucky to have another good coach. Absolutely. And I'm led to believe he texts or WhatsApps the players every week. Um, are you one of those players he's in regular contact with? And, and if so, what does he say? Yeah, usually he's, he's trying to reach out to check on how you're doing, how is your training, and also wishing everyone a happy new year as well because he did that. And and usually when it's, we are coming close to the to the games, he sends out videos that things he wants us to focus on, how he wants us to play. So when we come in the camp, you know you know what he's trying to focus on, so that it's not just something new. So he sends out videos and tries to tell you the things to focus on, the main points mostly. So he's been good at communicating with the players. Moving to the here and now, Michael, um, the Chicago Fire, they've undergone a lot of change recently. New coaching staff, new club colours, the team back playing at Soldier Field. Ahead of the new MLS season, what are you most excited about? Oh, man, I'm excited about everything because with having the new coach, having the new staff, you know, you know you're going to have new ideas, you know. That's another opportunity to grow as a player and as a club. And also it's moving to the new stadium. You know, it's, it's a beautiful stadium moving closer to our fans. It's something exciting and we can't wait to start. Your new coach, Raphael Wicke, um, he's come in. Um, people in Europe know him for the amazing work he did at Basel during an impressive run in the Champions League in 2017, 2018. That season, Basel toppled Man City, Man United, Benfica. What's your early gauge uh, since working with the coach? I know he's just come in, but what's it been like uh, interacting with him and, and getting a sense of it, and getting a sense on his vision for the new season? Yeah, he seems like he likes to playing, you know, <coughs> fun soccer, you know, playing playing out of the back and you know trying to entertain and also to attack, you know. He wants us to be comfortable on the ball, to be able to play, to be confident, you know. To and also it seems like, you know, he's he's a player's coach, you know, he tries to connect with the players, he tries to get to know you and trying to because to me I feel like, you know, 
what he's trying to do is right. Like if you can connect with players, it's easy for them to play for you. So I think he's he's he's, he's that kind of guy, and he cares a lot about the players as well. Michael, you've had a career that's taken you to many places in the MLS. The Seattle Sounders, Colorado Rapids, Montreal Impact, and now the Chicago Fire. Given all your experience, all your pre-seasons, all your seasons, what do you think would be a realistic prediction for the season? Do you think the playoffs are something the team can, can think about and, and perhaps aim for? Yeah, that's the main focus right now. We need to get back in the playoffs. It's been a while, you know. It's <clears throat> We've always had a good team, but I feel like we need to be able to pick it up and get back in the playoffs again. That's the main focus, because as soon as you get in the playoffs, anything can happen from there. If you're speaking to most MLS pundits and fans, and they heard a Chicago Fire playing saying, we're aiming for the playoffs, they take that with maybe a little bit of pinch of salt. What, what makes you think that this is the season you guys can turn it around? Because it's been... It's been a struggle in, in Chicago for the last few seasons to, to, to get momentum and to get things going. It can only get better from here, you know, because with all the changes that are going on, you know, they're doing them. They're happening for a reason. The main reason is to go back in the playoffs and, you know, also win an MLS Cup. So it's it can't get any worse, you know, because for the past few seasons, you know, we want to give something good to our fans, you know, who have been there for us, you know, through all the hard times. So... We want to give them something good as well, so we hope, you know, that, and we plan to make it better, so it can only get better from here, man. And here's to Chicago going up. My wife actually lived in Chicago, so I've got a very, very soft spot for the team, just so you know. So I will be keeping a close eye and hoping you guys do well this season. Um, Michael, it's a theme during the interview that that, that I'll return to. Your story is one of resilience. When you sit with your teammates, excuse the pun, and you're in preseason, and maybe you're doing the things you don't really want to do in the gym and on the field. What do you say to fire them up? Do you have a mantra? Do you have a motto? Do you have words of wisdom that you tell them? Because you're also one of the more experienced men in the team. So I'd imagine you see yourself as a leader. Yeah, mostly what I usually tell my friends and my teammates is, and I always tell them, you know, it's as hard as it is right now, it's going to pay off later. Because let's suffer right now and enjoy later. So I tell them, let's push. Let's push through through this. It's going to be hard. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be painful. But at the end, you're going to feel better on the field when you're winning games. So let's not let's not focus on the pain. Let's focus on the good things which are coming ahead. So that's all I tell them. You know, and I just tell them, you know, we're a team. We push each other and we try to give the best that we can. That's all we can control. I feel motivated to hit the gym now, Michael. You should be my personal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Um, just a few more questions as we wind up, because I know you probably have to shoot off now. I know last season in yeah MLS football, there were 44 Africans playing all across the league. Do you think African players now see MLS football as something they aim for? Um, they see it as a league where they can develop, a league where they can achieve success rather than simply putting their focus on the top leagues in Europe? Yeah, USA or MLS has been, is a market whereby it's growing very fast. And as you can see, there are a lot of different cultures, different players from all over the world. And I feel like African players, mm-hmm. this is an opportunity for them to come here and just shine, you know, just give their best. Because some of these African players are really hungry and they just want to play, you know. 
I feel like it's a good market for them. You know, it's a good market for us to come here and just give our best and try to play as as much as we can and to help the team as much as we can. But I feel like it's a good market for the African players or even other players, even South American players. You know, it's it's an open market now because mm-hmm. the league is growing very fast and the money is growing and the salaries are improving. So I feel like there's a lot of improvement within the league which can attract a ton of players from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And Michael, when you're finished with your career, could you see yourself staying in the U.S., maybe getting involved in coaching or management um, staying in football in some capacity? Yeah, yeah, because I want to do that after I play. I want to stay around soccer because I like coaching young players and to motivate them and encourage them and share my story with them and try to give them what I've learned. So right now I'm doing my master's degree in sports management online. So I'm trying to prepare for that, you know, as I finish to play. I want to be able to stay around soccer too give the players what I learned and find out how I can help them to reach their potential. That's amazing. You're playing and you're studying. I think that's an inspiration to everyone. Could you see yourself as a a GM or someone in in a front office doing um, a different type of role than than actually hands-on coaching? Is that what you envisage in the long term? No, mostly it's on the field. The office mm-hmm. will be boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the next job is not so fun. I like to be out there and just get to know players, get to teach them something and learn something from them as well. So I'd rather be out on the field. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, as I say, we're rounding up the interview and one of the big issues we've had in global football and European football recently, Michael, is the spate of racist incidents we've seen take place, particularly in European leagues. In England, we had it in the Manchester and London derbies, while in Italy, we've seen players like Romelu Lukaku and Mario Balotelli be targeted with monkey chants and all sorts of abuse. If you were a young player considering where to take your career on next, and you had an opportunity, for example, to go to Italy, would you think twice... Yeah, you know, because that's something, you know, that should be taken seriously, you know, because there's no room for that, you know. Why should you hate someone just because of their different color or anything like that, you know? We are all human beings at the end of the day. And I want to be in an environment where I'm more welcome and people love each other and people have respect for one another. So it's something which has to be taken very seriously. I'd rather be in an environment where I'm welcome and I get, because that's the only way when you're comfortable and you know, your family is not being threatened or you're threatened on the field as well. So things like that need to be taken care of, you know, because it, it kills the game, you know. It's, that, that might stop a good player to come to your team or to your league, you know. To me, I feel like that's something which has to be dealt with seriously. And I felt hopefully the fans can change their hearts, you know, because what's wrong with loving someone just because they have a different skin color? We all bleed red, you know. There's no need to hate someone, just try. To me, I feel like what causes this, like usually people when they don't know who you are, you know, people are scared of what they don't know. I feel like people should try to get to know each other, you know, try to get to know, you learn something new from someone because you're from a different country, different culture. And to me, it's, we should be welcoming other people into our lives, into our environments, into our communities and clubs. That's how, we, that's the only way we can grow. And, to me, that's something I, I would truly consider before I go anywhere. I want my family to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable. Absolutely. So 
you would have to think about a potential move to Italy if you were a young player or a young player in Uganda came to ask you for some advice. Would you would you talk to him about that and tell him to consider the environment you're going into? Yeah, I'll tell them because I know it's a big opportunity to play in Europe. I know the money and the lifestyle, but at the end of the day, if you're not happy, it's it's not worth it. You know, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then it's not worth it. You know, it doesn't matter if you know you're making tons of money. Money will always go away, but people will always stay. Humanity comes first. You know, we should be able to have a respect for each other, no matter what. You know, so. At the end of the day, it's everyone's decision what what they value the most in life, you know. So, but to me, it's something I would consider, and I'll tell other players if you what you value the most is what you should base don't you should base your re, your decision on. So, but I'll tell them, you know, and hopefully they can make the best decision for their lives. Absolutely, and when you compare what's going on in Europe with. Black players and African players being abused. How does that compare to your experience in U.S. soccer? Have you had any incidents, or has it all been plain sailing? Nah, it's been silent, you know, here in the U.S. and in the, in the in Europe, it's been really awful, you know. If you, the way you see things, how the things are done to Mane and Lukaku and even these other great players, and I feel like it it kills the game, you know, because if a kid comes to the stadium and is supporting a player and then they see such thing they think this is how we should live you know because kids want to be like these players they see on the field you know and at the end of the day we can't forget that that you know there's there's a kid who wants to be like that player why do you abuse him you know to me I feel like that's very very bad and I feel like hopefully they can take care of it and hopefully changes the game you know because this is a new era of soccer. Soccer is played by everyone all over the world, you know. There should be more love shown to people. We should think about the kids who are coming up in the future, kids who come to watch games, you know. These sh- things should be dealt with seriously, for sure. Football can be something that can unify us, and we certainly can True. see the best of that in, in many teams. I mean, you look at the Uganda Cranes, how happy and excited people are in Uganda. Um, how the national identity comes together. Michael Azira, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk to me today, to share your words of wisdom, uh, to to tell us how things are going to go for the fire this season. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and I wish you all the best with the upcoming season. Oh, thank you, sir. Thanks for the opportunity you've given me to share my story with you and other people. Hopefully, hopefully it can inspire someone. You know, but I truly appreciate. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in. Do let us know what you think by leaving us a rating and a review. It does help people find the show. Also, feel free to get in touch on Facebook by liking the On The Whistle podcast page. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram by searching for OTW underscore podcast. In our next edition, we talk with former Egyptian star Mido. So do look out for that. But for now, we've hit full time. All the best and goodbye for now.